This is exactly right. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think about it as you don't always need to be with your kids. It's healthy for them to be alone and for you, depending on their age and their developmental level, for you know, to keep them safe, of course, and be checking in with them as needed. But other than that, you know, all of the, the literature on creativity, the most creative people, they have time alone. Kids need to create by themselves. Kids need to learn to um, keep themselves busy. Hello, Parent Footprint listeners. Welcome to the February Sitting Down with Dr. Dan bonus episode. I hope your 2024 has been good and healthy so far as we continue to enter into this new year. Today, I'm joined by our amazing podcast engineer and dad, Phil, to answer your listener questions. As you know, every month, we answer your questions via Facebook, X, Instagram, and also email podcast at drdampeters.com. And thank you for doing it because we love it. Hello, Phil. How's it going? Hello, Dr. Dan. It's going well. It's going well. Uh, halfway through my Wednesday here and looking forward to another great discussion and another great set of listener questions. But before we jump in, I do have a note from our producer, Laura, to share with our listeners, and it goes a little something like this. Hi, listeners. We are so excited that you all love the new format of bonus episode 31. We are listening to you, and you are hearing the news first today. Along with your listener-submitted parenting questions, the new Sitting Down with Dr. Dan bonus episodes will also highlight articles news, and parenting trends. And thank you so much for listening and being a part of this incredible community. Yes, that was a success and that was really fun. And we are going to add more parenting trends, articles, news flashes, along with your great listener questions. You'll find that bonus episode number 31 in your regular podcast feed. Uh, the episode originally dropped on January 30th, 2024. And one more thing as a reminder, if you listen to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on the Apple Podcast app, there are a few changes with the iOS 17 update. So be sure to click the follow button 
in Apple, and new episodes will be automatically downloaded each week. Apple has paused downloads on podcasts if your phone is running out of storage or if you haven't listened in a while. So press that follow button so you will not miss a thing. All right, that's our housekeeping, I think. Hey, important housekeeping. Important Very important. Housekeeping. Keep the house clean, people. That's right. That's right. Well, with the housekeeping out of the way, uh, let's get into our questions for this month's bonus episode. Question number one comes from a listener via Instagram. My nine-year-old daughter wants to dye her hair bright pink. I don't want her doing this yet because she is so young. My partner, on the other hand, thinks it's fine. Advice, please. This is more and more of a common <laughs> thing that happens these days. It, you know, it used to be these were questions that I'd get in the counseling room for high schoolers. And then over time, it was for middle schoolers. And now, as you are talking about, it is elementary schoolers. Our world is getting more, I want to say, in many ways, open, um, creative. Um, we know that Everything is getting younger. I mean, fashion, and this, this, I'm not saying this is all great. There, you know, there's pros and cons to all of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, kids are dressing at younger ages like older people. Um, things are changing. So, all this is to say, it is not uncommon in my experience these days for um, younger children to want to dye their hair. And in fact, I see kids, young kids all the time with different color hair, with blue hair, with pink hair, with red yeah. hair. Yeah. And it just seems to be another part of self-expression. And depending on where you live, it might be quite familiar and uh, typical and maybe in other places less so in some schools, maybe less so. So I think the first thing is to ask yourself what is it about this that feels so uh, troubling or distressing or worrisome for you? And it's not surprising when parents go back to, well, I don't want my child to look different. I don't want my child to stand out in a negative way. I don't want my child to be teased. Um, I, what will people think of me if I let my child this age dye their hair? Like These are all very normal things to think about. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it is worth talking it through with your partner. I think it's worth talking it through with your child. Okay, tell me why you want to do this. Do other people have it? Have you seen anyone else like this? When did you get the idea? What do you think it'll do for you? Like in a healthy way, it's communication. Yeah. And in the end of the day, um, I personally have always subscribed to what I had coined a long time ago, sort of the uh, Pippi Longstocking approach. For those of you who remember good old Pippi Longstocking, who would wear clothes that didn't match <laughs> and right. socks that didn't match, and she would undeniably be herself. I feel good about kids taking these kind of chances, of course, yeah. and these these risks. Of course, when, if there's something permanent, that's a whole different discussion. We're not talking about permanence. Here, right. um, we're talking about, uh, and there's different kind of dyes. There's the dyes uh -huh. you get at the Absolutely. store, right? That are just, uh, mm -hmm. Phil's nodding his head. I think his girls have dyed their hairs with this sort of, with this sort I've of thing. Been, I have been down this road. You Okay, well, why don't, let's jump in, Phil. Yeah, as have I. So go for it. So I think my girls wanted to experiment with hair dye 
right around that same age. I'm going to say probably around 10 years old or so. And so we, again, had a an age-appropriate discussion with them, trying to understand, okay, well, you know, why why is this something that you're interested in trying? And then they would share, oh, some of our friends have done it, or we like how it looks, and uh, just having that open discussion uh, and talking through it. I and and my wife were not particularly concerned about them standing out or being teased for looking different, because again, as you mentioned, Doctor Dan, it's it's something that we see out mm-hmm. there. You know, even mm-hmm. at that time, it was um, big at that time for girls to half dye their hair, so just mm-hmm. to do the ends a certain color. Uh, so so that's where we started with it, and uh, we started with semi permanent dye that came out after only you know a few washes so it wasn't a full-on commitment uh and yeah and really there were no negative consequences that i really saw out of allowing them to experiment with Mm -hmm. uh with their looks um and it's interesting because i have two daughters i have a 16 year old and a 14 year old how they've sort of gone down these diverging paths as we see with uh with having multiple kids they all kind of go their own way and my youngest uh is still all about dyeing her hair mm-hmm. and so she went full on uh doing the full like uh, i think they call it balayage i believe yes the, bow, the, yes, the balayage i know those yes. well uh, yes. and sh- and she got this full like pink haircut or hair dye and but it looked great it looked mm-hmm. adorable on her and then she went blonde, uh, and now she's back to uh, her natural brown, but she wants to do some highlights in it. So it's, again, for her to feel comfortable ex- kind of expressing herself and how she wants to look, I think is a win, because yes, yes. she is comfortable being an individual, which I, I applaud and I celebrate because it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do, but uh, she's, you know, they're both following that path of, you know, this is the look that I want for me. And, yeah. and so, yeah. you know, it's just been having that foundation of open discussion and support and not just saying, well, no, why? Because I don't want you to do that. Or I think you're going to look funny or yeah, that's when we as parents need to step back and, and not be so concerned with how, you know, our peers are viewing us as parents, but rather honor you know, what our kids feel like is important for their identity within reason, within age appropriateness as well, of course. Of course. And yes, so yeah, uh, fits my experience as well. Totally agree. And I think the to cap this off, anytime we can support our children expressing their selves, their I, their creativity, their current evolving identity. Yeah. Yes. It's it's a win, and of course, you we can adjust if things have some negative, you know, negative consequences, um, mm-hmm. or it doesn't turn out like we thought. You can always pivot again because it's it's always. hair, it's always. hair, and it it will grow out and it will come out. Yeah, and yep. and like you said, it's as they enter their tweens into their teens, this whole idea of identity is evolving it's ever changing and it's different from one year to the next one month to the next and so 
it'll keep you on your toes as a parent, but en- enjoy the journey too. And, and getting to know the side of your child, it's a, it's a different view on them. And it's really an opportunity for us as parents to get comfortable with this notice, this, uh, get comfortable with this notion of they are human beings just as I am and, and they are becoming their own people. Uh, And it's, it's an, it should be viewed as something pretty exciting and scary. (laughs) It is both. Yes, it is both in equal (laughs) measure. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Moving along to question number two, which came to us via email. We are a married couple with two children, a boy and a girl in elementary school. I'm an introverted mom, and my husband is an extroverted dad. He wants to post about our kids and our family on his public social media accounts, and I don't want any social media posts out there about any of us. In fact, I don't even have social media. I know this is not the norm. We keep fighting about this. Thanks, Dr. Dan. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is actually very relevant to the sitting down with Dr. Dan pod bonus episode that we just referred to where it there is, yeah. was a piece on sharenting. So that's a term, sharenting, mm-hmm. a parenting term where we are sharing our kids constantly on social yeah. media. And it is very common these days. And we need to really think about it. We need to think about how old our kids are? Do they want themselves put out on social media? At what age do they get to choose? At what age would they care? What are the mm-hmm. types of things we're putting on social media? Um, a family picnic would be different than possibly a video of someone dancing or someone um, saying something that they would not want the whole world to see. Right. Yeah. Um, there are some family outings that maybe you or situations you don't want everyone to know about. So it's really to be discussed. And I totally hear the introvert extrovert thing, right? So an introvert mm-hmm. maybe wanting to be more private, an extrovert wanting to be more public and um, connect with people. I feel like in this case, it's a discussion of ideally of compromise, yeah. right? Because, um, you are a wonderful holdout. I like, I respect that immensely mm-hmm. that you don't have, you don't even have social media. You don't use it. I mean, that's, that's great. And your husband is doing what most people are doing these days. So it's like, what can you agree upon that he's still feeling like he's engaging in what is very common now is where you show others what you're up to with your family while at the same time, valuing some level of privacy, some, you know, not, you're not feeling too uncomfortable about it and see if you can each move just a little bit in each other's direction, because this is, it's a really important conversation to have. And I think these days we are all too often just posting and we're just doing so much without thinking. And this is worth giving it thought. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. 100%. And just even in general, most arguments, at least in, in my experience, uh, come from one you know, res- uh, reacting to what our partner is saying uh, rather than responding and taking a moment to process what they're saying 
uh, maybe even practice a little empathy will allow you uh, to respond and engage in a more productive conversation, uh, trying to just understand why this might be something important to your partner and expressing to them why the privacy aspect is important for you. And mm-hmm. there's always there's always a compromise in there somewhere. Yes. A- and you have to be prepared to drop some of that heat, right? Some of the spiciness in these discussions, mm-hmm. turn down the emotions a little bit and just try to actively listen. Uh, and again, I think with an, when it comes to an issue of, of, of privacy and our personal boundaries, mm-hmm. it's very, it's very important to articulate what those boundaries are and why you have those boundaries around privacy beyond just being, well, my husband knows I'm an introvert. Mm-hmm. Maybe express what that's like for you being an introvert and having your images out there of you and your family and how that makes you feel. Uh, mm-hmm. Give them an opportunity to to empathize for for where you're coming from. And, and I think if this is taken uh, with that approach, I think you'll be able to find a compromise where your partner is comfortable with what they're able to share, and you're comfortable with what's being shared. Mm-hmm. And oh, go ahead. I was going to say just one final thought too, and it might change over time. You know, you might find that you want to share more, or mm-hmm. you might find that your partner wants to share less. Yeah, I know we in our house went through a phase where we were sharing a ton of stuff that we were doing with the family, and and now, not not really so much anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you triggered something for me, which is how important it is for both the introvert and the extrovert to be understood and acknowledged mm-hmm. because each have their own needs. Yeah. And in yeah, most cases, sure. each can't understand the other's um, frame of reference because they don't right. experience it. So right. it's really trying to, one is not better than the other or right, more right or wrong. It's just that both are important. And if you can engage in a way of, inquiry about trying to understand the need um that he has and you trying to explain your experience as you were saying phil of what it's like for you when this stuff Mm -hmm. goes out with that increased understanding and empathy it's a lot easier to get to a place of uh compromise and understanding yeah absolutely absolutely but yeah it's a great question and it's Mm -hmm. it's timely uh just based on the discussion we had on the last bonus episode and you know it's it's just something to keep an open dialogue about yeah you know, i don't think there's going to be just one conversation about it i think that it should become collaborative with your partner and say why don't we take it a post at a time and if you're thinking of sharing something from the family maybe we can talk about it and and then go from there so there's there's many different approaches to this. I think I think you'll figure it out. Okay, moving along to question number three. What do we do if we think our kids are addicted to the internet? We have a son in high school and a daughter in middle school. Okay. Okay. Yes, you are not alone with that concern. This has been a conversation for um, 
pretty much ever since we got tablets and um, smartphones. Yes. <laughs> right? And, and, and laptops. All yeah. of it. All yep. of it. Yep. Yep. Um, so first of all, I just want to state that internet addiction is not yet a clinical diagnosis. Um, it's talked about a lot um, as, you know, addicted to the internet, addicted to gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, um, I believe in the ICD... 11, 10 or 11, the um, international classification for diagnoses, um, there is a gaming disorder um, in our diagnostic and statistical uh, manual here in the States. Yeah. Not yet. Um, We also have to be aware that excessive use can be due to some underlying situation, like an underlying depression, anxiety, Mm -hmm. isolation, um, ADHD, uh, like really like you know, sucked in, having trouble, um, the do- needing that that dopamine, um, that dopamine rush, really hard to get off track time. Which, of course, all of these programs are designed to mm-hmm. make it hard for you to get off and make it so you don't track time. I think it's all like uh, they've studied how to be in a um, a casino and have people just be completely unaware of of what time of day it is, how long they've yeah. been there, and oh, how to, you know, right, how to get out of the yeah. slot machine yeah. or the table. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a reason they had they don't have windows to the outdoor world. <laughs> there is. In the there casinos. is. They've got that dialed in. Yeah. They um, figured it out. <laughs> also, it's important to remember how much of life happens on technology these days. And to be thinking about what our kids are doing. So, for example, there's um, a lot of DMing. There is a lot of FaceTiming. There is a lot of um, chat rooms, that, which may or may not be healthy. But there are mm-hmm. there are a lot of them that are also the kids are following their interests. They're on Discord of whatever yep. whatever yep. their topic of interest is. There is a lot of gaming. However, gaming. Has become the modern play date for many. Everyone goes home, gets yeah. on their headsets, and that's when they're they're going on a campaign together. Mm-hmm. So we're want to we're wanting to know what are you know what are our kids doing? What are the different things they're doing? Um, are they doing it alone? Are they doing it with others? Is it something that they're really interested in? Is it something that they're just getting lost in? Um, these are all questions to ask. Now, when it comes to addiction, there are a lot of similarities that all addictions have in common. And when we're thinking about a internet game, an internet game quote addiction, or just an internet quote addiction, here's here's some of the things to think about. Um, does your child lose track of time? I'm guessing most do uh, when they're online. Do they sacrifice hours of sleep to spend more time online? We see a lot of this, and this is when it gets more and more concerning. Mm. Do they become agitated or angry when their time online time is interrupted? Are they checking emails, DMing phones several times a day? Um, you know what? I think a lot of us are, but again, we're trying to look at all of this as a, as yeah. a group. Um, do they become irritable if they're not allowed to access the internet? Do they spend um, time online instead of doing things that they're supposed to be doing, like homeworks and ch- or chores? Um, are they spending time online with, as opposed to being with real people, family, and friends? And again, we need to ask if they're 
online with friends. Um, we, uh, you know, our generation is like, well, that's not a, that's not being with people. And they're like, no, that's actually being with people. And, and, yeah. and, and it is these days, even though we it might is. not agree with it. Um, do they disobey what the time limits are? Do they lie about the time? Do they sneak the time? Um, do are they forming new relationships with people they have met online? Now, this is an interesting one because some of these uh, friendships actually become real friendships with people yeah. in other parts of the country, yeah. again, because of an interest. Now, of course, we have to be aware that we don't want our kids being um, um, tracked and we don't want any predatory behavior and other, right. all that bad stuff. Mm -hmm. But we have to be aware of, you know, are, are our kids having some real relationships? Um, are they preoccupied about getting online when they're not online? Do they lose interest in other activities that they used to find enjoyable? Sports, recreation, theater, music, art. Um, and just overall, are they not themselves when they're not online? So like, these are all the things to think about. Now, in terms of, well, what do you do? So uh, the other thing is that a lot of kids are able to manage to do to do what they need to be doing with school and sports and then yeah. they love to be online when they're not so the question to ask yourself is is this just like when you talk to other parents are your kids really outside of the zone and, and that's not to say that other kids their friends might also be outside of the zone you know how much is this your perception from your generation versus some of these things are happening and you're concerned that your kids are getting sucked in and it's really impacting their health. Now, a few things to do. You talk about it. You address it. You talk about it in a non-judgmental non way, showing that you care about their health, and you're just inquiring because this is what you've noticed. And the more you can take this non-judgmental, curious approach, you can often get them to engage in a conversation with things like, so. How do you feel about the amount of your use? Mm -hmm. Do you sometimes feel that you get pulled in when you don't want to? Stay on longer than you want to. Do you sometimes feel irritable or yucky when you are on too long or when you need to get off? Like, Ideally, they're not on defense and you're really trying to gather information. Yeah. Also, ideally, you come up with a collaborative technology health plan, which is, hey, what do you think would be some realistic timelines about when to be on, uh, expectations, agreements that we can have. And you got to see where they are. Often the kids are actually pretty reasonable and it's surprising. They might yeah. not be able to stick to it, but their ideas are reasonable. <laughs> um, and then another thing is that you could become more computer savvy. There are a whole bunch of um, applications and software where oh, you yeah. can track things, you can block things. Now that to me is if absolutely needed because ideally you don't have to take that approach. However, you can tell kids if they're still having trouble after you have some agreements that you can get some software that can help them, right? Yeah. It's because it's, it's not about, I'm not trying to restrict you, but there is things we could do that would restrict you from being on when you're not supposed to be on. So then you don't have that impulse to do so. Yeah, absolutely. Could not agree more. I mean, it's something with teenage daughters that I'm living every single day. And you know, the quickest way to not have 
a lot of uh, influence on on their behavior with electronics and the internet is to set up a scenario where they do feel defensive because teens are somewhat have that built-in defense system ready to go at any moment. <laughs> I've heard, I've heard that. Um, <laughs> so again, yeah, the approach that we've always taken here is to be as open about it and non-judgmental when approaching it, even if we are very concerned, uh, you know, and there may be times where you need to tighten things up a little bit. Uh, you know, we like to go in with a certain amount of, of, of trust with the kids and saying, you know, this is what we, this is what our expectations are based on your usage and have some clear rules that are defined based on safety and based on, you know, their emotional maturity. And then if they knowingly violate any of those rules, then it, it's, it's not us as parents, right. That are, are quote unquote cracking down or tightening up things a little bit. It's, it is the consequence and the natural consequence of them knowing the rule and choosing not to, uh, not to follow it. Mm -hmm. And that's worked out really well. Uh, for us, we had to use monitoring software at, at one point, uh, because of some of the use, uh, on the electronics that we weren't comfortable with. Uh, and, uh, you know, since then, We've been able to step back as, as you know, our daughter has been showing more and more responsibility and good choices. She is honest. Uh, she'll come to us about something that someone said to her on social media or talk about what's going on, uh, uh, you know, in that digital part of her life. And so that's enabled us to feel more comfortable in trusting that they're going to make some good choices. And so overall, again, if you can show that you are not judging them and then also express that we are figuring out how to do this as well, because this is totally new to us. And as parents, we may make some mistakes with it as well in terms of parenting you through this. Uh, again, that gives them the opportunity to kind of feel like, okay, well maybe I'm an expert a little bit on some of this stuff. And so I can explain how some of this works to my parents. I've had to ask many questions about, well, what does that, what does that mean? In Snapchat, and what does this mean? And and so again, it's rather than making it a a subject that is uncomfortable and hard to talk about, it's become just something that we have to check in on from time to time because it's a part of their life that you know they have a certain amount of privacy, air quotes privacy with, and uh, and it it builds that relationship. And that's that's the first thought. The second, this my uh, second thought, which is a little briefer, <laughs> is that let's face it, we are all, we are all uh, vulnerable to the siren song of the internet and of technology, and so take it as an opportunity to examine your own electronics usage and internet browsing and swiping and all of that and all of that, and make adjustments yourself. Have a discussion about how you are adjusting some of your behavior and that, oh, I, I'm after eight o'clock at night, I don't look at my phone. You know, I'll mm -hmm. read a book and that's it. And, uh, and that also kind of takes this um, concept that we are judging them because they're, you know, a younger generation using this stuff that we don't know anything about rather than, well, 
we are all kind of in this together and we are all kind of stumbling through some of this electronic usage. And, and I think at the end of the day, when you feel like a team and they feel like you're on their side and looking out for their best interest for the most part, because sometimes mm-hmm. they won't think that the conversations will be easier. Yes. Um, we are modeling. We mm-hmm. must look at ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And honestly, I think at, at the end of the day, any discussions I, I think around electronic usage and, and having those moments of self-awareness and teaching our kids how to be self-aware, it's, there's way more benefits than there are uh, negative aspects to it. Question number four. I'm a mom with severe anxiety and I'm seeing some signs in my second grader. I am stuck in a cycle of blaming myself and feeling ashamed I passed this on to our daughter. My husband does not have anxiety or any other mental health challenges. Mm -hmm. So you're being self-aware by knowing this about yourself and observing some behaviors in your child. We need to remember that the nature-nurture debate is real and our kids are a product of our DNA. Yes. Right? Our genetics. And not only ours, but our, our parents and their parents. It, it, it runs through families. And there is the nurture side where our kids do observe us and mimic us. So first off, I'd really... I get it, and I, I, I would want you to show yourself some compassion. You can't help that you feel the way that you feel. And for any of us who have had um, anxiety, and particularly severe anxiety, we know how difficult it can be, and how awful it can be, and how overwhelming it can be. As we always talk about on this show, the main cornerstone of the show is it's like who we are as people as parents and focusing on our own health and our own growth is the best thing that we can do for raising healthy kids. And I would say that it's generally like, this is really common when we've had our own experiences of, we have our own mental health issues and then our kids are mirrors to us. And this is an optimal time for you to get some support for this yourself, your, for your own anxiety, but also parenting support. Because there are ways that we can, first of all, you being able to take steps toward against your anxiety, not only will, of course, help you, but will help mm-hmm. your daughter. But also, there are strategies that we can use to manage our own anxiety and act differently when we're with our kids, something that is not what we would normally do, but with this intention of you're going to act differently, say something differently for the health of your children. And many of us know that there are times that we are unable to make changes for ourselves, but we are able to make changes for the love that we have for our kids and for what we want for our kids. It's mm-hmm. like our, our greatest motivation right. is how we can make changes for them, which will ultimately impact them. So I would say this is a great awareness, and I would, if you are not um, involved in a professional counseling situation, 
I would strongly suggest it. And this is the primary thing to work on is how to manage your own anxiety for yourself, but also how to manage your own anxiety to minimize the impact as much as you can that would it have on your daughter. Now, your daughter might have her own anxiety just because of the way she's wired and her yeah. temperament. And if you are seeing behaviors from her that you think that she could use some support with, her also having her own therapist could be just a wonderful, um, supportive uh, decision so she can start to gain these skills and learn how to deal with those intense feelings as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, absolutely agree. Uh, the most you know, harmful thing you can do for yourself is blame yourself, right? It, blaming ourselves and, and the shame that comes along with it, it doesn't help us. You know, nope. it, it, and it certainly doesn't help our kids. And, and you, you have that self-awareness and you know, practicing kindness to yourself and talking to yourself as if you, you know, how you would talk to, you know, your daughter, maybe not the age specific part, but mm -hmm. you, you want to be compassionate to yourself. And so I'm going to tell you right now, don't blame yourself. We can't control our own wiring, let alone control how, you know, our kids have been wired, right? Mm -hmm. If she has anxiety, try to take it. And this is just my advice and correct me if I'm wrong. Don't view it as you have given her your anxiety look at it as my daughter has anxiety i can relate with how that feels and this part of my life that has been a burden of having this anxiety is now a tool that allows me to better relate to my daughter and understand what she may need yes yes i really like that you know, try to view it through that lens. And as Dr. Dan suggested, therapy is a beautiful thing. Uh, and it's, it's an important part. You know, when we, when we break our leg or, you know, jam a finger, we go, you know, we go to an orthopedist, you know, we have a, you know, a, a broken filling. We go to a dentist and our brain and all the chemicals associated with it, part of our body. And so if something is not feeling right, go see the right specialist who can help with that. And, and for your daughter as well, second grade, fifth grade, ninth grade, 40 years old. I don't think there's any you know, ideal age to get into that, you know, that therapeutic environment. And yes. I, in fact, from my personal experience with my girls, I advocate for, you know, for that somewhat younger age because if they are having challenges because we all have life challenges that impact our kids one way or another or they have their own challenges that impact them learning how to do therapy which sounds like a strange statement mm -hmm. but learning how to do therapy is going to set your kids up for you know, a a very you know healthy life and going forward so they have that self awareness and they know that they can go see someone who can help them figure out how to process or, or, or whatever. But I think, I think Dr. Dan's suggestion is hmm, spot on. It's a gift. Therapy yes. is, a, is a gift. Yes. 
Okay. Man, I, I gotta say, as is on a side note, I do love having these discussions. Yeah, I do. I do because I find myself examining myself as we're having totally. these talks too. Totally. Know, it's important. It's, 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 it's a beautiful thing. And these wouldn't be possible without our listeners submitting these fantastic, uh, fantastic questions. Yeah. And courageous. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, grand finale. We're going to end today's episode with an article and trend discussion. As Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan listeners know, there are many, many, many parenting trends that pop up on social media, especially with apps like TikTok. One that grabbed our attention is sittervising. Let me say that again. Sittervising. <laughs> oh, I know. I had to read that. I had to read that twice as well. Yeah. well. Laura, our amazing producer, found an article published by mother.ly. And Dr. Dan is ready to discuss this viral parenting trend for you. Of course, we'll have a link to the article by Mariah Maddox, published on January 15th, in our show notes. Oh, sitervising. I <laughs> am never surprised anymore with the different <laughs> terms that that uh, that are out there. There's just so many of them for different aspects of parenting or different what are thought to be different parenting approaches. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if this is actually an approach or a method, but let me tell you what it is, people. Sittervising, it's like sitting. So it is sitting back and supervising from a distance. And so the picture on the article is like, you know, parents like lounging on the couch and their kids are playing like over in the other part of the room. Okay. Um, in, in eyesight, the eyesight, these younger kids. Um, so the idea is that it allows for independent play while you parents get a little break. And what I like, I, what I do like about this concept, uh, maybe more than the name is that, um, it takes the pressure off that you always need to be hands-on. Like the pressure that many parents feel that they feel guilty if they are not always involved with their kids. Now, mm -hmm. for those of us of different generations, this wasn't even a thing. Like with our parents, right? Like, Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I was excited when my dad would show up at a baseball game. Right. But like, like there's, but I remember as a father, if I wasn't a coach, then I am like <laughs> neglecting my child. Right. Yes, and not, yes. so things have changed over time. So I like the idea is that it's for parents who are feeling like they can't do enough. They're never doing enough. They're overwhelmed that it is okay to be in the same room when their kids are younger, as they get older, to be in another room. And I know with yeah. our kids, as our kids got older, we just really realized everyone liked being, they liked it when we were there, even though at times it didn't seem like it, but they liked being in their room when we were in the main living room. Like yeah. they, that we were there, but we, they had their own space. And so sittervising Think about it as you don't always need to be with your kids. It's healthy for them to be alone and for you, depending on their age and their developmental level, for you know, to keep them safe, of course, and of course. be checking in with them as needed. But other than that, you know, all of the, the literature on creativity, the most creative people, they have time alone. Yeah. I mean, at some point, at some of the most prolific people, there was on the uh, neglect involved. So we're not saying right. like neglect, <laughs> but kids no. need time alone. 
kids need to create by themselves. Kids need to learn to um, keep themselves busy. And so yeah. Yeah. here you go. So if you're feeling guilty, feel guilt no more, parents, there is a new term. You can say, you know what? I'm good. I'm sittervising. This there is a go. like this is a parenting approach that's been published. So yes. <laughs> sprinkle this into your conscious parenting, your positive parenting, all of your different kind of parenting techniques that you are utilizing, um, and know that it is okay for you to chill and for your kids to have some time where you're not engaging with them all the time. Yeah, and I can just say, absolutely, just because <laughs> you're sitting and they are doing their own thing does not mean that you're one not parenting two being a bad parent you're yes. being a great parent by yes. allowing them that opportunity to start to learn independence and independent play and independent creativity yes it's a good thing it's a good thing so for all those parents out there that feel like you know, they have to be involved every single second Give Sittervising a, a, a shot and, and let us know. Yeah, let us know what that experience is like for you. Yes. Sittervisors unite. Sittervisors unite. <laughs> and that does it. That, okay. that does it. <laughs> that does it. Okay. We will leave you with that. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks again for just great questions. And again, your um, the courageous questions and real questions and everyone benefits. I mean, not only Phil, I, Laura, we benefit, but every listener benefits because everyone is dealing with, in some way, with everything you're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for listening to our regular weekly show, Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan, where the new episodes drop every Thursday. And as you know, these new bonus episodes drop the last Tuesday of each month, all in your regular feed. Please continue to follow us at Parent Footprint Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and on X at Dr. Dan Peters. We really appreciate you rating, you reviewing, and you're subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite platform. For more info, you can go to exactlyright.com or drdanpeters.com. And of course, do those two things that I will continue to tell you as long as I'm doing this. Try to be that person you want your child to become and ask yourself the guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Mountain Spring High, composed and performed by Gabriel Lewis. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. <laughs>